for the week of July 3rd, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 588, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. Suddenly, we're fresh air. Yes, I, well, and... That was quite the uh, quiet... Me- normally, you're like, this is Showbiz Sandbox. I'm Sperling Wright. And today, you were like, this is Showbiz Sandbox. I'm Jay Sperling Well, do you know Wright. why? No, I don't. Do you know what? No, I don't. Well, because we spent, like, I don't even know how long... We are on a platform called Squadcast, and that's how we, we record. That's how I see Michael, um, you know, when we're recording. He's in, in one part of the world. I'm in another. We can see each other. And they decided to update the whole thing i'm sure it's much much better than it was <laughs> but don't move my cheese i don't know where all my cheese went like right now i have this thing like popping up it says quality check video audio previews are available in the recording sidebar and then with a little button that says show me with an exclamation point meanwhile i'm like i'm just trying to find my cheese <laughs> well tell me this uh today was an easy day because it's a holiday weekend we're recording on july 4th Sad news about a, a, a mass shooting in Illinois at a 4th of July parade. Six dead so far. So that's really awful. But, hey, you got to sleep in. Is that appropriate? No. But normally, you have to wake up and get, help get the kids off to school. What time do your kids go to school in the morning? Are they middle school, high school? Where are they? They are uh, high schoolers. Both yeah. of them. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. What time does class I don't know where start? where you're going with this. I have no idea where he's going with this, ladies and gentlemen. A class starts usually at around 8 o'clock and 8.50. Well, no more, of course, because California just passed a new law that high school must start no earlier than 8.30 in the morning. And that's actually, to be honest with you, actually, come, come to think of it, that is when it starts. But, you know, there's the whole getting there and making, you know, so I know that, like, <laughs> so what? the bell rings at 830. Well, but then they're that's there when school starts. So your yeah. school will not have to change. At least half of the schools start earlier than that. So it's a big change for a lot of schools in California. The era of us letting kids go to school in the dark and falling asleep during their first period hopefully will be over if California leads the way. So I thought that might make a big change in your routine, but clearly not. No, but what I would say is, at least here in California, because of the teachers unions and all the hullabaloo over over education, so intercurricular sports, intramural, whatever it is, the sports that people play, you know, captain of the football team type Mm. thing, Uh uh, you know, that actually is taught as a class. So that means like if you want to also be in the marching band or you want to learn photography or take an elective or like a language too bad you have to, t- and you want to play a sport, too bad you have to, the sport is your elective, uh, which is a big pain in the neck. Now, that's not true in private schools, but in public schools, that's often true. Uh, it takes the place of your gym class, by the way. Well, what if and it takes so, the place of your gym class, why would that, why would that, you can only have one elective a semester, is that the idea at your school? Like you well, can't be in band and play tennis? It's very you hard. can't take yeah, a language and study art? I guess you can do that, yes. I mean, it's just very hard. I know that, like, for instance, the band... What has this got to do with when school starts? Well, because what happened is, um, very often, the people who were in sports would have what was called a zero period, meaning they started even before school, and they would they would have a whole period of school before school even began. Well, like swimmers, well, like swimmers, of course, are up for like two hours before school begins. Right, it, mm-hmm. and that would be their zero period. And there are some regulations around that too. You know, I can guarantee you, our listeners are like, "Why do I listen to this show? What am I <laughs> even doing here?" 
I don't have kids. <laughs> well, it's just your life, you know. I thought maybe your life was going to change, but it's not. However, our show continues. That's a rock amidst all the confusing changes in your life, Sperling. So tell us, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, it is the 4th of July, so we are going to be setting off some fireworks because, again, it's 4th of July weekend in the U.S., which means, you know, picnics and hot dogs and parades and movies. Obviously, this was written before the tragedy that just took place. (laughs) Correct. Um, Yes, which is actually unfolding as we record. So if you don't know what we're we're referring to. They do. They do. Yeah. Well, anyway, Minions. The rise of Gru. It's showing the box office is back for everyone, even families. In fact, I am sure theater owners are telling studios right now, we told you so. Give us more family movies. Anyway, next weekend, we have another blockbuster with the new film Thor. And uh, Michael, I know you're still keeping track of Top Gun Maverick, and we'll explain why. The box office isn't the only place setting off fireworks. On Netflix, the new season of Stranger Things set a one-week record for streaming in North America. No wonder Kate Bush is the toast of the town. On Inside Baseball, we've got more streaming news because the decisions made there are affecting every part of the business. And we'll explain what that means because movies, TV, home entertainment, independent production companies, and more, everything is being affected. And HBO Max, they kind of made a bit of a doozy of an announcement impacting All of those things. Is it a kamikaze move or the wave of the future? That's actually kind of an important question. We'll we'll dig into that. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz, who's going to fill us in on last week's box office. But, you know, I, I did notice he's wearing a suit and tie to do so. I don't know why. Why am I wearing a suit and tie? You know, I, I okay, I, I, I don't, I didn't know why, but for like a week and a half, my daughter's been talking about going to see Minions with her friends over this past weekend, and she's been talking about what suit she's going to wear because she doesn't own a suit. I said, well, I own a suit, so she's wearing my suit. Like, this has been like long in the planning. I do not understand why going to see Minions requires a suit and tie. <laughs> That's because you're old. But so she goes and sees this thing wearing my suit and she comes back. I'm like, and she's showing me all these pictures and everybody in the auditorium, not just her and her friends, they're all wearing suits and ties. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but what the hell is going on? And she's, and, and so she's like, oh, it's just a thing. Yeah, it's like a thing. It's a I'm thing. Like, a thing in your neighborhood? Like what the, no, it's some TikTok thing. There you Did go. Did you know about this? Uh, no, I do not stay on top of the memes of Minions. I don't get it. Look, well, and I have to say that, you know, I, I, ha- I know people in different countries. In Finland, they're, they're all wondering what the heck is going on. And in, in, in France, I heard some people wondering, like, why are these people showing up? And so all of the theater owners are like, there was even a theater that said, people, please stop wearing formal wear to see Minions. <laughs> why? Why would they say that? I have no idea. Like, that, if you go on Instagram, there's all these, I'm like, this is exactly what you want, people. People getting dressed up. I don't think going the, to the movie I don't theater, think most theater owners are upset by people getting excited. No, I think this was that, this was one. It might have even been like, a joke, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's true. I do wonder if it's all right. Movie. So it's worldwide box office. It's for the week ending July third, and the number one movie around the world is that nicely dressed movie, Minions: The Rise of Gru. It's the biggest Fourth of July opener ever in North America. 
So when you're talking about how well it did, family films, animated films, but no, no, no. Biggest 4th of July opening ever. It made $202 million worldwide through Sunday. If we toss in Monday, uh, at least from North America's box, we know that's about $220 million. This is another movie where the tracking really did not catch what was going on here. The numbers kept exploding in terms of, oh, Thursday night did what? Friday numbers did what? They kept upgrading their, uh, did we say 80? We meant 160. You know, it just kept growing and growing and growing. So a big, big opening week for Minions, The Rise of Gru, the fifth, but not the last in the Despicable Me franchise. You know, th- there was, uh, you know, studios are always like, yeah, we plan to make like $5 million this weekend. And then when it makes like $30 million, they're like, wow, we overperformed. But this was, I think even, even you know, Universal was like, okay, we said 80 and we were like kind of hoping for 90, 95, but wow, did we underestimate this. That's right. That's right. And of course, uh, tracking, the reasons why tracking is not as firm anymore, uh, so many reasons. We've talked about them before. It's hard to track how many people are going to show up how many weeks they're going to keep going, when they're going to stop going, that's really hard. And that brings us to Top Gun Maverick, the number two film around the world. It made $94 million this week. Surely a great choice for 4th of July weekend if you haven't seen it yet or want to see it again. Worldwide, it has grossed $1,110,000,000. Now, why are we keeping an eye on this movie? Well, guess what? This weekend, it grossed $25 million. I'm guessing that's part of Fourth of July, and maybe finally, this movie has had great holds in the U.S. and all over the world. It really has legs. You know the way we talk about old-fashioned movies. Like the word of mouth is great. People keep going. They're going back again and again. Here we are, well into the run. It made twenty-five million dollars this weekend, July eleventh, seven days from today. Next Monday will be forty-five days after this movie opened. Will they just give it one more weekend when it's still making above $10 million a weekend at the box office? Oh, they better not. If I was, this is the classic example Mm -hmm. of a movie where they're like, we said it could be 45 days. We didn't say it had to be 45 days and we're going to milk this to the last person. Do you think Paramount's that smart or do you think the Paramount Plus people are like, give us that movie? Oh, I'm sure they're like, give us that movie. And I'll tell you this much. Come September, when it's on Paramount Plus, I will be watching it again on Paramount Plus. So right, well, we shall see. I, I'm keeping an eye on that because studios should be smart. When you have a movie raking in bucks, why would you say no, no, no? Thanks, we just want you to, you know, watch it for free in your home. <laughs> and by the way, I'm a Paramount Plus subscriber now because of the Star Trek stuff. So am I. A- and. And guess what? If I knew it was coming in September, guess who would keep their subscription in August? Well, no, but they're hoping they, they, the question is, will they bring it in July? You wouldn't have to wait till September to keep your thing. Oh, you're saying, oh, you'll keep me for another two months. You're not going to get rid of your subscription. Are you planning to, to turn it off at some point soon? No. No. Okay. Yeah. The question is, you're making money at the box office. You're helping theaters. You're making bucks. It will still be just as popular when you put it on Paramount Plus and not one subscriber is sitting there going, hey, it's been 45 days. Where's that movie? Not one. So, you know, don't no. train people too much. Don't cut your, don't kneecap the box office. We'll have to see what Paramount's doing, but Paramount, we're watching you. Well, also think about it this way. The second that it is on uh, Paramount Plus, Piracy. Of course. It's already available for pre-sale. You can purchase it for $30 online right now. Pre-order it. $30? To, to buy a digital copy. 
that's oh. you know that's that's just uh, the windowing thing, right? It'll eventually be cheaper on Blu-ray and whatever, or perhaps not. You know, I not don't quite know. as much. Thirty dollars. Well, that's that's, like that's the premium late. You know, that's the premium early window, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's the, early electronic sell-through, right? Uh, so thirty bucks is ready to pre-order right now. We'll have to see what happens. I think they would be dumb. You know, if it drops by fifty percent next week, and it's still going to be making at least ten million dollars in North America alone. Why give all that? It's $94 million worldwide right now. If it's making $50 million next weekend, that means maybe $20 million the following weekend. Why would you want to just toss away the $10 million you would get to keep from that? I don't get it. Well, we'll be waiting to see. $200 million for Minions, $95 million for Top Gun Maverick, and in China, a big success story, Lighting Up the Stars. This is a, a weepy drama about a funeral director who's out of prison and he befriends a little girl. You'll laugh, you'll cry. It made $81 million this week. It's had $118 million worldwide, basically all from China, and this puppy exploded. Great word of mouth. Had a nice, big, solid opening weekend and an even bigger second weekend. So people are loving this movie. Jurassic. You know, mm-hmm. you said you laugh and cry, and it reminded me during Cine Europe. You know what I saw? What? I know this is a total non sequitur, yet kind of semi related. Mm-hmm. I saw the trailer for the Indian remake of Forrest Gump. And it is like such a remake. It is an exact copy, like, except for my mom always said life is like a box of samosas. <laughs> samosas? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I don't know what it was, but like, okay. it wasn't chocolates, it was something else. All right. Something that was Indian, you know. There you go. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion is still making big bucks. $77 million worldwide. It's at $825 million and counting. $130 million of that came from China. It's made more than $130 million in the Chinese market alone. Hollywood does not want to give that money up. Elvis is get, doing pretty good. $63 million this week. It's at $114 million worldwide. And hey... You know, you could go see the movie, or you could just wait a year or two and watch the ten-part miniseries. They'll be turning it into. <laughs> no, that's just Australia. That's just that's Australia. Just- that's right. Was it called Faraway Downs or whatever the name of the estate or whatever the you know the farm or whatever it's called? Yeah. So Baz Luhrmann is turning Australia, its epic film starring Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, into an epic miniseries. I think it's a six-part, six-hour miniseries with all the footage from the movie that they didn't use. God knows how much they have for Elvis. The horror film The Black Phone is doing really well, too. $38 million worldwide. It's at $75 million and counting. Lightyear, not doing as well. Lightyear, the Pixar movie, $36 million this week. It's still looking to get to $200 million. It will get there sometime this week. It's at $188 million right now. Then there's a big drop-off. So we had a lot of big movies there. We had Minions, a family film, Top Gun, a movie kind of for adults but appealing to everyone, a weepy drama lighting up the stars, uh, a four-quadrant blockbuster with Jurassic World Dominion, a flick for adults, Elvis, and a horror movie, The Black Phone, and another animated movie appealing to all ages, but of course kids, that would be Lightyear. Uh, those are all doing really well. Minions, they're all one, two, three. Elvis, you know, that's still waiting to be proven a full-on success, but that's going to get close to tripling its budget. It's going to get close to $250 million, I think, when all is said and done. Uh, so that's looking good. The Black Phone's a hit. Lightyear is struggling. Is that going to get to $600 million worldwide? No way. Can we blame the pandemic? Not when you look at Minions, the rise of Gru, making $200 million in one weekend. So that's on that movie. People were ready to come back to the theaters, but that movie just isn't delivering for people. And yet, 
There's six movies, all doing six, one, two, three, four, five, seven movies, all doing good, good box office. The rest of the chart is much smaller. We got holdovers and newer films like Jug Jug Geo, the Hindi Indian film about newly married couples. That's at $12 million total. The DreamWorks animated film, The Bad Guys, that's at $250 million worldwide. In Korea, a con winner for Best Director has opened up in theaters rather modestly. It's Park Chan-wook's Decision to Leave. That made $4 million on its opening week. Do you recommend it, Sperling? It's, it's definitely, yes, I do recommend it. It's very Hitchcockian. Uh, I wasn't as big a fan of it as everybody else, but I can understand why people were big fans of it. And it is a, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting movie. It's worth seeing. And another Korean uh, film play, uh, Korean is The Roundup. That action film is about to hit $100 million. I couldn't get numbers uh, from this weekend. I don't think it fell right off the charts, but it's probably at $100 million or just, just getting close to there right now. But I did not really have strong numbers for that one. If you've got numbers for The Roundup or you've got numbers for a movie in your territory we didn't catch and you don't see it on our list because we didn't cover every single film, movie we mentioned here. They're all on our list. If you've got something new for us, let us know. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, at showbizsandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can find our page. And it dawned on me as I was saying all of this that people could actually record their own, you know, voice memo, I guess is what you would call it, and then send it to us via email. Same thing, right? We could still play it on the show. Why, why are you so desperate for voicemail? Like, I like the voicemails. <laughs> I like it. But, but unfortunately, apparently I need auto insurance or like my car warranty is about to expire because that's who calls us. Like 90% <laughs> of the messages are people trying to sell us something. Well, you know, maybe Bob Chapek was calling you to say, hey, let's go out and have a drink because he wants to celebrate having a new three-year deal. His contract was expiring early next year. They needed to decide now or start looking for a new boss. So he got a new, a new uh, cycle. He's got more time to make all these changes, maybe get pandemic in the rear view mirror so he can start to deal with the world as it hopefully will be for the foreseeable future rather than the bizarre shuttered world that we were living in. And speaking of bizarre shuttered worlds, we've got good news at the box office overall. The North American box office is up not up over okay. last weekend, not up over this time last year when movie theaters were shut down, kind of. No, the North American box office is up compared to this time in 2019. So this weekend, compared to the July 4th weekend in 2019, up. No surprise, of course, when you have a movie set an all-time record like Minions, but the holdover of Top Gun, uh, Jurassic World Dominion, Elvis, The Black Phone, Lightyear, all those movies are helping North American box office show, hey... You know, we can be back just as big as ever. Just give us the project. Wait, is it year on year, meaning from January to this? No, date? no, 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 no. This weekend just compared the, to just as we. Okay, okay, okay. No, it's just this weekend compared to the box office uh, in 2019. So that's great. Uh, there's no way we would be up over the box office uh, of uh, 2019 overall. Okay. I mean that that's not even remotely feasible, is it? <laughs> I mean, we've been, you know, half shuttered down and barely getting back up to, to where we are today. Yeah. 
Yeah, we don't we don't have the product. We haven't had the box office opening. People have been wary about coming back to the theater. So just being up for that weekend, that is tremendous use. That is tremendous news, I should say. Compared to this time one year earlier, uh, where are the numbers? Hmm. I don't have some I don't have it yet compared to 2019. So far we're at 3.8 billion dollars uh, for the year um, where we were at this time in 2019 way above that. <laughs> way way above that. <laughs> so not there yet. So what well where were we? Well, we were in the closet. Uh, at least with R. Kelly. Um, he is not in the closet anymore. He had a famous song. He's now in jail. Uh, R. Kelly, or at least he will be in jail, he's been sentenced to 30 years in prison for sex trafficking and other charges. It's one of those bizarre, ongoing scandals and crimes that we've been seeing happening for years, and yet it can be so hard to prosecute. Uh, finally, uh, people have had their day in court, women and men have come forward, and R. Kelly has been sentenced to jail. Uh, you know, a long overdue thing. You're trying to watching, why can't this person be found guilty? What's going on here? They just continue. Like Ezra Miller is just out of control. What, there's one strange, bizarre story about Ezra Miller, the actor who is the star of The Flash, after another. His studio must just be so freaking out because they've got a $200 million movie that he's the star of and it just doesn't get any it, the news does not get any better for him but no I mean if you're the studio you almost want to kidnap him throw him in uh, in a sound stage and say you're not leaving here until after the movie is released uh, that would be illegal <laughs> fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah not a good thing uh, but maybe if they want to stress out they can just you know look at the streaming numbers uh, we've got streaming numbers every week uh, we've got a link in our show notes and uh, the charts that we've got copied up. We've got the top 10 overall for the week of May 30th through June 5th. We've got the top 10 for originals, acquired shows, and movies. And if you look at all those 30 you know, 30 move things, movies, TVs, all that stuff, Netflix has 23 of the 30. So Netflix really dominates in North America and around the world. And nothing is bigger right now than Stranger Things. Of course, we've all been talking about Stranger Things. We've sparked a hit song by, by Kate Bush. We've got now Metallica on deck, ready to have a, a resurgence of one of their great songs. And when the movie, when the TV show debuted a month ago, uh, that, this is when we're getting the numbers now. We have to wait 30 days and more before we get our information. I don't know why it takes 30 days. If you know, let us know. But Stranger Things when it debuted, set a one-week record of 7 billion minutes of viewing. The record before that was, I think, 5 billion, and only like two shows had ever done that, and only a handful had hit 4 billion. That's just a lot of viewing minutes. Now Stranger Things has shattered that record. What are we and measuring? That's just, that's just on like TVs. That's, that's right. That's not like this on is laptops North, and phones. And this is North American smart TVs measured by Nielsen. And it only includes stuff on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. When I watch something on my laptop, like I watched Heartstopper, that didn't count. Nielsen is not able to measure that. If somebody watches something on their phone, that's not measured. Nielsen can't measure that. Uh, I don't think everybody's um, iPad or smart tablet, I don't think those count in Nielsen measurements. It's just smart TVs. So imagine all the viewing that's being lost. All the eyeballs that aren't being measured, that Hollywood and the studios and the, and the streamers can't boast about. Anybody who's not letting Nielsen track what's going on on their channel is crazy. 
You know, HBO, yeah, Ma- HBO Max is finally a part of it, but I don't know that they're um, that they're cooperating. I think Nielsen has just figured a workaround because we do see HBO Max, Fantastic Beast, The Secret of Dumbledore. That's in the top ten this week. Amazon. Well, the thing with Stranger Things mm-hmm. is, and, and the reason that it, it shot up so quickly and so fast. Well, it's the finale it, of the part two of the final season of one of the most popular shows, you know, in streaming history. Well, and everybody wanted to watch it right away because of uh, spoilers. Everybody was. It's popular. You know, yes, it's popular. Yeah. This is us debuts or anything. They want to. They don't want to. They don't say, "I'll wait on that other show because there's no spoilers." Every you know, everybody, every show has a spoiler. What happens, right? Game shows have a spoiler. Everything has a spoiler. Sports has a spoiler. That's why well, sports you know, doesn't I, I repeat was, so well. Well, right. And I, I didn't want uh, anybody to spoil Hell's Kitchen for me, but uh, everybody kept telling me that 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 uh, well, well, Gordon Ramsay guy he yells at everybody. He yelled at somebody again this week. Go figure. Well, uh, I you know that's a reality show, but there are reality shows like British Baking, which I've been watching with Paul Hollywood and all that. I've really gotten into that. My family's been watching it regularly. We're working our way through past seasons. And you know what? Those have spoilers too. You know, anytime there's a competition that goes on more than one week, you know, you might find out who got dumped and that's no fun. Or you might find out who the winner is, especially when you're watching past episodes. So most programming has spoilers in them, you know. Uh, But again, Think of all the viewership that's being lost here. My point here is just, wow, everybody needs to come together. It's in everyone's interest to make sure Nielsen and any other uh, observer trying to record television that they're willing to work with has access to as much info as possible. You're just screwing yourself over when you're not letting Nielsen report on laptops and phone viewing and any other viewing that they can track. You know, you've got to do everything you can so that everyone can come together. The problem is the tech people are over here, the TV people are over here, the streamers are over there, and Nielsen is like, could you all just help? We'd love to track all this, but boy. Well, especially since it's our business and you keep threatening to take it away from us. Right, but seven billion minutes just from one area of North America. God knows what this show actually did, and God knows how much it's done worldwide. The numbers are obviously much, much bigger than this, but that's still an amazing accomplishment. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really big deal. I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi had a great week, too, as well. They, they, they did really well, uh, and... Um, you know, there's just a lot happening on streamers. You can see Obi-Wan Kenobi. Once people hear, oh, wow, it's been like a billion minutes of viewing with just three episodes able to watch, they hear, oh, people start to hear about that. And the quicker they hear about it, the more likely they are to say, oh, I want to check that out too. You lost me at big deal. Good. When you said big deal, yeah, because it's time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Yeah, let me do the first one because you are the agency guy, a former man on the dark side of agents. (laughs) CAA has completed its historic merger with fellow talent agency ICM. The deal was valued at about $750 million, and the new behemoth will feature 3,305 employees. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm, I'm getting some breaking news here. I'm sorry. Make that uh, 3,200 employees. As always happens after big mergers, some employees will lose their jobs. In this case, 105 employees from ICM. That sucks for them, but hey, at least it means less competition for talent since there will be one less major company bidding to be your agent. Oh, wait, that's not really good either. So is this a big deal or a big whoop? It's a big deal. The fact that the top four agencies are now the top three agencies again. It used to be be kind of, well, yeah, it used to be the top three. uh, 
and then it was the top four with UTA, and now it's back down to three. You have William Morris Endeavor. You have Creative Artists Agency now, which combined ICM, uh, and of course UTA, and you have Paradigm and others, but uh, certainly- They're more boutiques. Yeah, they're more boutiques. And certainly now what you'll have is lots of packaging going on between Creative Artists Agency and, well, you know, they'll represent a good 30% of the talent out there in Hollywood. And of course, it's the end of packaging. That happened over this past week. Uh, The Writers Guild deal, there's no more official packaging where CAA is going to be able to take a cut off new deals. If they package somebody, they just make more commission off what their people they represent make. So there is still an incentive for them to do packaging. It's just not going to give them more money than the people that they're supposed to be working for. (laughs) Right. Now, newspapers in the United States continue to die off. In 2005, we had about 8,900 newspapers in the United States, including weeklies, by the way. Now we're down to 6,400. True, most of the newspapers now disappearing are small weeklies, not old-fashioned dailies like your grandparents saw in every town in America. But that's because so many dailies are already gone. The weeklies that we're losing are the last independent local coverage many towns had left. How fast are they going away, you might ask? About 100 newspapers a year or two a week. That's basically what we're up to. We've lost almost half of all jobs for journalists, which have dropped from 75,000 in 2015. No, 2005, we had 75,000 journalists. And we're down to 31,000 journalists working today. And that's not even counting Michael and myself. (laughs) Uh, That's more than than 60% of all jobs that are now gone. So big deal or big whoop. Well, obviously, it's a big deal. Um, The journalism jobs, of course, when you have a daily closed down, you lose a lot more jobs. The weeklies don't have nearly the size of staff that a daily would have. And, of course, now they're disappearing, too. A hundred a year, kind of, in a way, doesn't sound like that many, but it's two newspapers a day. And if that's the only newspaper in your town, you know, that is so bad for coverage of the school board and the police and city hall and the mayor and the, all the stuff that you care about, like how well is your library run, how well is the park system, how well is the water supply system. All of that is lost when you don't have any independent coverage. And TV stations just don't do as good a job. They're trying to pick up the slack. But a lot of TV mergers mean more of their content comes from national people as well. So it's really bad for everyone. And you know what? Most newspapers are not locally owned anymore. That's a problem. These weeklies are shutting down. Uh, it's not even a, it's just a, a website or a weekly that sort of is duplicated in a bunch of different territories. So it's the same uh, coverage in most of them, except for one or two little stories that are local. It's really, really not healthy for a democracy, not good for the jobs of my friends. I know so many people who've left the business. 100 newspapers a year, it's a lot if one of them is in your town. Well, and if you really want to watch a, a great documentary about this very subject, Storm Lake. Storm Lake is a movie about the, actually he's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist, Art Cullen, who owns and runs uh, the bi-weekly newspaper, The Storm Lake. Uh, well, I don't and, think uh, the personal life of the newspaper is important. I don't know why you would talk about that. Well, that's not the per... Well, no, no, no. I mean, he it's his family. <laughs> he said bi-weekly. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Oh, no. It's so like every two weeks. Uh, <laughs> but it's in, a, it's in an Iowa farming community, so it's a very small town. They have big problems and small problems, and they 
just the town does as well as the newspaper trying to survive. His wife works there. His son works there. His brother works there for free. I mean, he volunteered. It's it's a really good documentary with great characters and, and a great story. It's available to rent on Amazon for $4. That seems to be the only place you can get it, but you can rent it or buy it for $5 if you like. And actually, I just went to their website, right? It says, on April 1st, 2022, the Storm Lake Times company, which is owns the Storm Lake Times, mm-hmm. uh, announced their purchase of the Pilot Tribune and the Cherokee Chronicle Times. Uh, so they've merged. Oh, I thought they were purchased. No, uh, I guess they 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 purchased they purchased other newspapers, trying to keep them alive. All right. Well, yeah. The fight continues. Then, yeah. Speaking of fights and continuing, <laughs> well, uh, I guess that brings us to Alec Baldwin and Woody Allen, who got together for a chat on Instagram, where all good chats are held. And just like those celebrity love fests and Andy Warhol's magazine interview. The sort where, you know, two famous or semi-famous people spent half the interview saying how much they loved each other's work. Kind of like, you know, our weekly chats, Michael. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, well, Alec and Woody talked about everything but the scandal surrounding them. Peak viewership was about 2,700 people during the event. Broadcast uh, thing. I'm not sure know, what, what do you call, call a thing on Instagram. Live streamy thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in any case, it did make... A little bit of news because the 86-year-old director, that would be Woody Allen, he did admit he might actually retire after one or two movies because it's no fun when movies don't play in big movie palaces anymore. Yeah, or get good reviews or good box office. Yeah, that that's also, you know, probably happening. Uh, that's probably no fun either, you know. Big deal or big, up, big whoop? Well, it's a big whoop, of course. Uh, but it's a a sad end to a long career for Woody Allen, but that's how a lot of careers end, with a whimper rather than a bang. Not everyone can be John Huston and end with one of their great film, one of their greatest films, like he did with The Dead. Normally, you know, you're, you're Howard Hawks or somebody else churning out stuff because you don't know, you don't do anything else. You don't know how to do anything else. It's what you do. It's who you are. What do you like? I make a movie. I write a script and I make a movie every year. That's what I do. Uh, so he's 86. Even if the scandals and things surrounding him hadn't happened, even if he didn't have all those troubles, it would be close to the end anyway. So, you know, probably not a shock. But yeah, it's no fun for him. And when they're not that good, it's no fun for us either. Yeah, I actually watched... Uh Mr. Rifkin's Festival or whatever the oh, last one was. Uh, oh, it was painful. Why? Was so why painful. did you watch it? Because I, I just wanted to see what it was. You know, I was sent a screener. I projected it, you know, at the in, in, in my little screening room here. I just wanted to see, you know, you can't really bag on somebody if you're not watching their movies. So I actually well, tried well, to watch it. It's not bagging on I, them. I just say he hasn't gotten good reviews in ages. If, if a movie got good reviews, I would watch it. But since they're not, why bother? Now, you said that there's scandal surrounding Alec Baldwin. I guess this is the Rust scandal, right? The Well, he has, uh, no, he, that's a tragedy that he was involved in. We don't know that, I, I don't believe that he has any particular legal liability or moral, whatever. It just seems like a disaster that he, he's not responsible for gun safety as such. But uh, I, I don't mean to speak for the families who may blame him very much. I don't know. But I'm talking about more about all the other things going on in his life that have always gone on. He's got lots of, you know, issues. Oh, I'm not really, have to say, not really following them, and now I'm kind of glad I'm not. So, uh, but if if I were, at least for Mr. Baldwin, it would be kind of inside baseball for his family and his life, right? Sure. That was a really, really amazingly bad transition to inside baseball. 
Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. You, now, know, Woody I know, Allen wanted, you know, Woody Allen wanted to be a baseball player. He would have loved to have been a baseball He'd give up movie making immediately to be, you know, playing for the New York Yankees. He named one of his kids Satchel after Satchel Page. So you could have used Woody to get to you to baseball, to get you to inside baseball. Just an idea. Oh, brother. Yeah, well, can we go back and redo that? Sure, that sure. Works? They'll never notice. Keep going. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, this week, we have more streaming news. It's all about streaming, and we keep talking about streaming because everyone else is talking about, you know, streaming. And they're trying to figure out, you know, what to do, how much to spend, where they should spend it. NBC Universal is taking a hard look at those low-rated cable channels. And HBO Max is thinking twice about all of its original programming in countries like, you know, Turkey and Sweden. Can they afford to make original programming for every single country in the world? That seems like a lot of countries. Is that even a good idea? Discuss. Well, first of all, I think, uh, well, why don't we tackle NBC first? Because they, you know, their streaming service, Peacock, doubled its revenue from $500 million to a billion. That's actually pretty good, uh, you know, and a pretty good pace, too. And now NBC is shutting down the Olympic Channel. Wait, hmm. I think there's a connection there. Were in, they all going to go in, to Peacock? Indeed, indeed. So, you know, NBC had the Olympic Channel to promote the Olympics. And, of course, there's Olympic stories to do all year long. People are training and stuff. But, you know, filling up a new a channel, 24-hour-a-day channel with Olympic stuff, not easy. Either you're going to spend a ton of money for a very small audience or you're just going to have a lot of reruns and it's not going to make any sense. Well, you know, it was really useful every two years when they had the Olympics because for, you know three weeks or whatever, you had nonstop programming on the Olympic Channel and MSNBC and CNBC and NBC, you know, everywhere you had NBC, uh, you had channels filled with Olympic content. But now you've still got a lot of those channels and you've got a streamer where you can have unlimited content. You know, you can have people watching all the live streams of every event easily on your streamer easily, but you know what I mean? It can be done. So you don't need 17 channels devoted to Olympic coverage. You can pick and choose what you want to do there. So the argument for the Olympic channel really just disappeared, you know? So it does cost money to have a cable channel and to maintain it. If you're not going to pump in original programming or you don't have cheap reruns that can keep it afloat with an audience big enough to get some advertising, you know, the, the economics of it just don't pan out. And the Olympic Channel really only had a purpose once every two years. So now that they've got a streamer, you're putting all your energy and money into that. Anything that you want can be put on there. So, you know, keeping the lights on at the Olympic Channel just didn't make any sense. You know what you could do is actually put on all of the, the lead-up events. Like, you, you know what I'm talking like. Well, you got to pay, you gotta pay for the rights. Oh, ESPN and the Big Ten Network and and the SEC Network and the ACC Network, they have access to a lot of the uh, college gymnastics and things where you're going to see the stars who are going to be competing in the Olympics. Uh, other people, I think you missed and, your calling. You should have been a sports programmer. Oh, absolutely. You seem to know a lot about this. <laughs> well, I know that for NBC, a cable channel seemed less valuable, but for Warner Brothers Discovery, the opposite may be true. Yes. Well, the problem is that Warner Brothers Discovery made some confusing statements about their investment in original programming as the two companies finally merged. I mean, here's the deal. Warner Brothers slash Discovery, Warner Brothers Discovery, whatever they're calling themselves, they expect to save $3 billion in cost savings thanks to the merger. We've been talking about that for two years now. 
Well, that money has to come from somewhere. And there, you know, I, I can tell you this much that Jason uh, Kylar, he was not making $3 billion. <laughs> so, he, you know, and, just and letting him go. And there aren't that many accountants on payroll. Right, exactly. So uh, <laughs> it has to come from somewhere. And one answer uh, is they could uh, stop making shows, programming. <laughs> that would save money. Yeah. So right now, uh, I guess Warner Brothers Discovery is going, wait, how many how many shows are we making for HBO Max? And why are we making them in Turkey and Sweden and all these other places? Because maybe we should take a long, hard look at our spending in other territories and like one, you know, like Latin America. Do we really need to well, make hold on a every show? First of all, they announced they will make no more streaming originals in the Nordic countries or Central Europe. They said no more originals for HBO Max in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Central Europe, the Netherlands, or Turkey. Like Here's none. what I would tell them. Here's what I would tell them. Make those shows. Sell those shows either to yourself on HBO or put them on HBO on your cable channel, not HBO Max, on HBO. Then sell them for reruns. And then, like five years later, put them on HBO Max. Well... That's partially what they seem to be doing. But A, it seems like a pullback from these countries. Everybody else is talking about we are investing in local content. We want you to subscribe to HBO Max in Turkey. And to get you there, we're going to create some Turkish programming, stuff you can't see anywhere else. That's a reasonable business model, although there are so many countries, it becomes awfully expensive. But it is a way to say, hey, to Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Turkey, you want us to, you know, you want them to subscribe every month for a year to your channel? Maybe you should show them some original Swedish programming. And it's worked. HBO's had good success. They have had big success with shows like the Swedish sex comedy Lust and the Danish family drama Kamikaze. Uh, that those are good success stories for HBO, not just in those territories, but kind of around the world. However, they have to cut money somewhere. And pulling back on these countries, like you say, A, is it a cost saving or is it more about saying, look, we can't just dump everything onto HBO Max. We got to try to make back some of this money first. Remember when Warner Brothers said, hey, let's, who cares about box office? Let's just put all our movies on HBO Max. They did that. Wait, they, hold on. How did that go? They say it them? went great. They you know say, what? Let me, no, let me get Jason Kylar on the phone because, oh, wait, his number changed, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, they said it went great. They said they were very happy. They got new people streaming. They couldn't, they didn't want to make a movie by movie decision as far as what would go theatrical and what would go straight to HBO Max. But they feel like long term, that was a good call. Even though they had to pay out hundreds of million dollars, they pissed off all the talent. And, you know, it's clearly not a, a, a thing going forward. It's just what happened during a very unusual situation of the pandemic. So that was a one-off, uh, though they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. Like, well, yeah, it was a one-off, but it worked great. But here they are saying, maybe we shouldn't be making all these programming just for HBO Max. Maybe we should make it or partner with other people and then have it air on a network in Sweden or Norway or Finland or Turkey. And then there can be reruns and we can make money off it and defray the cost. And then Wait, eventually the rights will defer to us and we'll be able to put that, even not exclusively necessarily, but we'll get the rights to those shows and be able to show them on HBO Max. Kind of like Windows? <laughs> well, I Release think, Windows? I guess. But they're also going to start pulling back in other territories. This seems like a major reshuffling. They're saying, look, we're going to look at spending like Latin America. Can we make programming for every single country around the world? 
Even Netflix can barely afford to do it. <laughs> and in well, fact, okay, here, here's mm-hmm. the thing though. Yeah. David Zaslav, when this merger was announced, yeah. a lot of people were like, oh, great. The guy who gave us housewives of insert name of city, yeah. uh, you know, a basically- A billion dollar franchise, by the way. Yeah, but basically it's made on the cheap and it was one show after another made on the cheap. That guy's going to take over a, a platinum- media brand like Warner Brothers, which spends hundreds of millions of dollars on Christopher Nolan movies. I don't know how that's going to work out. Well, sure enough, you see that happening like pretty quickly within the first year. They're like, yeah, why are we spending so much money? This is ridiculous. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Kill CNN Plus, no more content, you know, so he, they're doing exa- everything that people warned about with this takeover is coming true. Mm-hmm. So, Yes, so some shows are the, that are on will be pulled. Other shows that are on the air or have been greenlit will continue, but not all of them will appear on HBO Max. Maybe they've been greenlit and they're happening, but they're not going to try and sell it. Maybe to okay. a network owned by Warner Brothers in some of these countries or independent companies. So they, you know, and guess what? They're not done with the layoffs. With fewer productions, they're going to need less staff. So more layoffs are in the works. They got to save that $3 billion somewhere. Here's the interesting wrinkle. Two countries that are safe so far are Spain and France. Not every territory is being affected. Not every country is being affected. Some countries are so big, you want to make original programming for them because there's such a big audience to reach. Spain, guess what? Spanish language shows travel very well all over the world. There's a lot of Spanish-speaking people all over the world. And yes, Ecuador is not the same as Cuba, which is not the same as Spain, which is not the same as, you know, uh, uh, Colombia. But... When it's in your well, language you can understand, it's a lot easier to reach out and sell a program to those countries, just like it's easier to sell British shows to North America. But si, senor. See, si, but France. <laughs> HBO Max hasn't even launched in France, but they're still <laughs> making original programming that they want to use for HBO Max and for France. Why? All those pesky regulations that demand a certain percentage of local programming. That's right. Now, which, by the way, they also have in Spain, but not nearly as onerous. Right. So when Finland and Turkey and Sweden and Denmark and Norway and Central Europe and all those countries in Latin America find that HBO Max is ignoring them, what do you think they're going to say? Say, hey, maybe those pesky regulations aren't such a bad idea after all. Right. Or they'll just say, I guess we'll do it ourselves. I don't know what they're going to say. You know what? Let me let me get them on the phone. I'll find out. Which country should I start with? Uh, start with El Salvador because we got to load off some Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that didn't work out so well for them. The whole like let's let's have Bitcoin as our national currency, did it? No. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the idea isn't dead, but uh, there you go. Well, well done. Well done. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you kind of served up a. I, I guess would you call that like a, a like a soft a lob? It was a lob. It was a lob. Okay. Well, that does bring us to our obituary section. And what I love is I now get uh, emails in the middle of the week with Michael saying, "Nope, I think I'll leave this one off the obituary list." And I'm like, "Who even is that? Like, <laughs> it's somebody who had oh, a bit role once they in like, the had, bad that, news." That bit. was a good. There were good stories in that open. I won't even mention the person, but yeah, the the bartender from from The Shining. There were some cool stories about him working with Kubrick. But anyway, I bit my tongue and I and I didn't include it. But I did include Oscar nominee and model maker Gregory Jane Jean. I apologize to his family and friends. Gregory Jean, he has died at the age of 76. He's a model maker, and throughout his career, he worked on Star Trek. 
He did model work for the TV pilot Star Trek Phase 2. That was a TV series that was going to be a new edition of Star Trek with all the original cast, almost all the original cast. Then he worked on Star Trek The Motion Picture, numerous sequels and TV shows like Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. So he had a lifelong association with Star Trek. He's a person of color. Cool to see him working in Hollywood, but obviously behind the scenes, but still it's inroads. Uh, Gene also did key work on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. As in working under Douglas Trumbull, he was the lead model maker on The Mothership. That's oh, pretty wow. cool. Okay. Pity he didn't refuse to do some interior work on it so we wouldn't have that special edition. He also worked on everything from the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension to Avatar with breaks from sci-fi and fantasy to do stuff like One from the Heart, the Coppola film, and The Hunt for Red October. And just to remind you that sometimes people have a miserable time making great movies or have a great time making a bad movie, Gene says the best experience of his career was working with Steven Spielberg on 1941. <laughs> Which, by the way, you know, think about it. I was like, yeah, I mean, Steven Spielberg, yeah, that's not his best movie, but yet, you know, it, it's a movie that, that he had a lot of passion for. I had never heard of Star Trek Phase Two In 1977... They were bringing back the gang to make a new TV series. Uh, they wrote the pilot. They had 13 scripts. They began building sets. Uh, Leonard Nimoy wasn't on board because he wanted more money, so they were still working it out with him. It was going to be the anchor TV show for a new network, a new TV network back in the late 70s called Paramount Television Service, or PTS. It was meant to be the fourth major network. It was the driving idea of Barry Diller. But his bosses at Paramount were like, ah, it's going to lose too much money. Terrible idea. We're not going to do it. So he left Paramount for 20th Century Fox and promptly launched the Fox Network. <laughs> right. I was going to say, you know, you know where this story goes. I right? did not. <laughs> I did not. Yeah. So Paramount eventually followed suit a day late and a dollar short with UPN. When the new series launch collapsed, they just took the pilot script and turned that into the movie Star Trek The Motion Picture. So that's kind of oh, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we talked about theater last week. And this week, Tony-winning director Peter Brook died at 97. Yes, he's one of the great directors in theater history. Bold, innovative. He did movies, operas, TV, plays, and musicals. He pushed the envelope for decades. Then he moved to Paris in the 1970s and became even stranger and bolder. Much of his work was done with his longtime collaborator, Marie-Hélène Estienne. So she is still alive, and we should hat tip to her because they were partners in, in the arts for many, many decades. Among his major works are Broadway stages of Marat Saad, a famous production set in an insane asylum, Irma La Douche, and A Midsummer's Night's Dream, a production of that that still reverberates to this day. That's how influential it was. And later he mounted an epic staging of the Mahabharata, an ancient Indian epic akin to the Iliad. That's the best thing to compare it to. He directed at the Royal Shakespeare Company for decades, worked with Olivier, John Gilgood, Paul Schofield, right up to Adrian Lester and others. He was an early champion of colorblind casting, which he termed color-rich casting. Midsummer was especially influential. They did it on a plain set. Actors were juggling, spinning plates. It was a circus theme. They were on trapezes. People were like, what is this? It blew everybody's mind. And the show included unknowns like Patrick Stewart and Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley said it changed his life. 
And many of the hacks, films, hacks, all of them. Hacks. Most of his films just <laughs> captured a stage production, but he did do an acclaimed 1963 film that's based on uh, Lord of the Flies, the William Golding novel. And his 1968 book, The Empty Space, remains an influential classic in the world of experimental theater. But you knew he was fated for a life in the theater. This is according to The Guardian. Peter Brook was born in London on the 21st, March, 21st of March, 1925, and age seven acted out a four-hour version of Hamlet on his own for his parents. <laughs> he did all the parts. He did everything for his parents. Four hours. They were like, we got a live one here. <laughs> Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him well when I played the part 13 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, also, uh, you know, this I thought was interesting that you include harmonica soloist Tommy Morgan. He died at the age of 89, and you would think, why? Like these Try guys and stop me on this one, Sperling. This is cool. You, you think these guys have gone off the rails. They're including harmonica no, soloists. For more than what 60, uh-huh. What I would say is, when you actually hear a harmonica solo in a movie soundtrack, it's probably him. <laughs> Anywhere. he For more than 60 years, he came up with arrangements and scores for... TV show episodes and things and, and the like for thousands of albums, TV shows, movies, and more. But mostly, he played the harmonica. From his first session with the Andrews sisters in 1950 to what looks like his final credit, the movie Identity Thief with Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman back in 2013, he played and he played and he played. That's his harmonica on the theme song to Sanford and Sons. That's his harmonica on the theme song to The Rockford Files. That's his harmonica queued up for Arnold the Pig on Green Acres. That's his harmonica on the miniseries Roots and films like The Right Stuff, The Black Stallion, Dances with Wolves, and many, many more. Plus, of course, music. He was, you see, you hear him on the Elvis 68 comeback special, one of the legendary TV specials of all time and featured in the film Elvis. You hear him on Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys and Rainy Days and Mondays by the Carpenters. You hear him in the movies Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Blazing Saddles, Cars, The Shawshank Redemption, The Princess Diaries, Empire of the Sun, Ratatouille, The Car. I'm just getting started. You can head to his website where he lists some 7,000 recording sessions he worked on. The only thing that stopped him was a stroke in 2013, or we probably would have heard his harmonica in the Baz Luhrmann film Elvis. And you know what? It's probably in there somewhere anyway. Yes, kind of like uh, we are in 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 your in ear, your, in your ear right now. Uh, in fact, we could be in your ear next week or the week after, uh, and the week after that. Uh, although, actually, uh, what what is today's date? Yeah, next week I will not be available. I just realized. Oh my God! Way to bury the lead. And that Wednesday, next so next Monday there won't be a show next week. And then I'm leaving for London. I leave for London on July 13th. I'll be back on August 17th. We'll be trying to do episodes with the international divide and the time, date line, and all that stuff changing all the time for us. But we'll figure it out. We will have episodes, but none next week. Well, that's interesting. Sorry to hear it. So we won't be back until July, the week of July 17th. Correct. And you know what? You're what what's happening? Are you having fun? Can you tell I'm, us? Is it private? No, no. Uh, I'm visiting my brother in a remote part of New Hampshire not my idea. How but, remote uh, can it be? That's what I said. It's actually, apparently, um, I'm going to go through internet connection withdrawal, I was told. Okay. Oh, they're said, like, no, no, there is no internet connection available. Yeah, I was like, no problem. I've got a cell phone and I can use it as my Wi-Fi. They're, they're like, like, nope. Yeah, they were like, yeah, no, that's not going to work either. I was like, ugh. That's my fault for not asking you if there would be a show next week. Normally, before we go on air, that's the first thing I ask. 
we were all like famished with the thing, uh, the, the, the new squad cast of it all. We got the uh, messed up. Yeah. But uh, in, in any case, if you subscribe to us in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can, well, you can usually find us in any one of those podcast aggregators and do rate and review us on in any one of those aggregators that allows you to do so. It, it helps us out when you do. You can find that information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find links to all of the stories discussed on today's episode. Uh, as well as ways to contact us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail, 888-567-SAND. That's Berlin's lonely. Yes, I'm lonely, apparently. Uh, 888-567-7263. That is our phone number. On Twitter, we're at showbizsandbox. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Again, all that information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, whoismgmt.com. And Michael Giltz has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting for us. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's londoncalling.com. Oh, I I'm heading, I'm heading be- to London. You think it's taken taken by the class? At least by the class, probably by a travel agency or something. I don't know. I don't know who owns it, but it's it redirects to culture calling. So when you go to London calling, you end up on a thing going here. Do fun stuff in the UK. It doesn't seem to be government owned, but who knows? Well, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage on on that website, why not (laughs) head over to MichaelGiltz.com, where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on Celluloid Junkie until two weeks from now. Play nice. Oh, 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 oh,